Welcome back to the Inverse Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the conversation so far. We're going to jump back in to part two with Broxy and Jared. If I look at the Sermon on the Mount and the sixth antithesis, that is the six times that Jesus in Matthew 5 contrasts his teaching with the teaching of the Old Testament with the phrase, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Six times he does this. Some people have said he's just correcting their interpretation of Scripture. He's challenging religious traditions. But he, he quotes, in some of those cases, Scripture flat out. It says, you've heard this said, and quotes Scripture says, but I tell you. Hmm. People say, well, well, you're not suggesting that Jesus is like taking authority over Scripture, are you? Or you're, or you're not suggesting that Jesus is somehow teaching something different than what Scripture has already said. And I would respond, of course that's what I'm saying. That, 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 and that shouldn't be controversial for Christians. Because this text has already told us that there are stories and teachings in Scripture that are not God's heart. Hmm. The text has already told us that kings and Israel's desire for kings is rebellion. But then the text goes on to tell us about God choosing the kings and anointing the kings and blessing certain kings and, and using them as an example. And Jesus is known as the son of David. He could have been known as the son of Moses or the son of, any, of Adam or Elijah. He's the son of David, a man after, God, after God's own heart. But the very fact that there was a King David is considered rebellion to God is if we go back enough in the story. Wow. So, so it has already told us that, that God is working in a, in a compromised state with humanity to bring about the best with his broken image bearers. Mm. Um, and so we've got creaky doors in our house. Um, creaky doors are wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And that opens up a little door for me yeah. uh, around um, back to your favorite Greek word and the incredible mm. subversion that um, like this rage for togetherness and mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that rage, you're like, oh, can we really use that? Mm. And the New Testament does. And here's God go, and we go, oh, kings, can we really use that? And God does. Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus's um, uh, definition of those terms can't stay in David. Yes. That, that like right. everything finds their definition in him. Yes. Like, it's, a, it's a subversion and a a transformation of all our expectations yeah. of what um, rage means yeah. and for being yeah. together yes. or what king means and it's seen in one who's <laughs> crowned with thorns, yeah. not with jewels and yes. coronated on a cross, not on a throne yeah. and who, whose power is redemptive, liberating, suffering love, mm-hmm. not an iron scepter and an iron fist that yeah. rolls out over those who get in his way. Yeah, I mean, so good. And that is, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. What what the Romans are doing to Jesus at his crucifixion, uh, ironically, hmm. the Gospels are recording as a genuine revelation. Wow. So the Romans give him a crown of thorns to in ironic mockery. They give him a scepter and a robe. Uh, and and it's, it is all ironic mockery. And the Gospels are saying, no, actually... This is what the coronation of our king looks like. Mm. So take note, because that will give you a clue of what the kingdom looks like mm. and what the love of this kingdom and the ethos of this culture. Every kingdom has a culture. And what's the kingdom culture of Jesus? When that's the coronation ceremony of our king, yeah. you know, exalted up onto his throne on the cross, uh, then there, there is a, a, an eye-opening revelation of everything being turned upside down. So, so like a joke without a punchline, if we have the Bible without Jesus, yeah. we, we don't get it. Or right. to return to the sixth right. sense, that if we don't watch the last five minutes, yes, we right. haven't actually seen the film. Yeah. 
We, right. we don't know where everything, and it's actually become something which right. um, is used to back up the very point right. which it is undoing. Right. And not only have you not seen the film, you've seen it wrong. Wow. And you will feel like you say, well, I skipped the last five minutes, but I've basically seen the film. Let me have an opinion yeah. about it. Oh, I've Let read me the Bible argue. before. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've yes. spent time in the Bible. I know yeah. what it's about. Yes. I grew up in a church that yeah. taught the yeah. Bible. And it's yeah. like, yes. wow, that, right. that could be one of the biggest stumbling blocks to actually hearing what yeah. Jesus is about and what yeah. he invites us into. Yes, to. yes. I mean, uh, there's um, a favorite passage of mine. This is the one I plan to share, but can I just point out one, one verse? Yeah, please. Yeah. I would love for you to... Help us actually open up scripture and show us how to turn the world upside down through it. But you you start wherever you want it. Um, the the uh, Gospel of John um, starts by saying that Jesus was both with God and was God, and that He became flesh. And then and then John still in the first chapter says in verse uh, seventeen, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean that, that that's a radical thing for the Bible to say about itself uh, for for the new covenant to say yes Moses gave us the law but Jesus gave us truth hmm. what and that truth is grace yeah and so it is it, it it's affirming though something that we already have read in the Old Testament text which already told us this is not the heart of God he is meeting us where we're at. And, it, and, and that's already told in the Old Testament text. Yeah. And the promise then of the prophets, one day God's going to really do what God really wants to do. And he'll remake your heart and you'll be in tune with the Spirit and his law will be lived from the inside out. Mm. So, so it's all there in the text. So this is not some completely radical, unexpected idea. It's, it'll be unexpected and rejected if you have too closely emotionally bonded with the religious system that was only meant to be temporary. If if that is where you find your life, then yes, then the teaching of Jesus will feel like a threat. But if you have, if you know you've been living in a temporary state, waiting for this new way of living that God's already promised, then the teaching of Jesus becomes a revelation of uh, anticipation coming true. Wow! And suddenly, verse eighteen in, <laughs> in chapter one yeah. makes sense. It's not that yeah. uh, the writer of, of John's gospel doesn't know his Old Testament, mm-hmm. and saying, no one has ever seen God. And I said, uh, mm-hmm. hang on a second. Yes. There's a whole bunch of stories a where, where bunch. people in- encounter God, but it's, it's mm-hmm. actually saying, no one has ever seen God, but this one and only, who is the Father, is at the so- Father's side, has made him known. Has but made him known. It's it, not that no one has, but compared to... Compared to like, Jesus, yeah, it, it, nobody has. It, like, we've got no idea. Well, even yeah. uh, Moses, who would be the most intimate description of relationship with God, says he knew him as a friend face-to-face. Hmm. It is just a, a number of verses after saying that no, Moses knew him as a friend face-to-face, where it tells the story of Moses saying, now I really want to see your glory. And God says, well, you can only see the back of me. And he puts him in a cleft in a rock, passes by, covers his eyes, gets to the other side, removes his hand, and says, you can only see the back of me. So... That's right within the a number of verses that are saying um, the the euphemism of knowing him face to face was uh, it, it was just that it was poetry and it was a way of saying he was as close as you get at that time, but then it tells the story of Moses, the one who's the closest to God, only really seeing the back of God. Mm. So we don't see the face of God until Jesus comes, mm. and the Old Testament text has told us this. Yeah, and the funny thing is that um, those Christians who take the Bible so seriously that they argue against the stuff that Jesus said, <laughs> is that it's the same disappointment that when you see God's face, yeah. 
that he's like, oh, the all-powerful, he's all vulnerable. Uh, yeah, mm. yes, yes. I don't, can, can we go back to my projections previously? Oh, you're this, so right. This non-violent stuff, I'm not so <laughs> down with it. So, Bruxy, help us take a passage. Okay, and, and I'd, I'd love to... If, if you would uh, read a passage and, and uh, teach us how to read it in ways that turn our world upside down. Okay, all right. Um, then John chapter 5, I think, is has become over the last few years one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This mm. this one chapter, we won't read through the whole thing, but the whole thing from start to finish, it delivers. Mm. It's it's a fascinating uh, text. Um, by the way, just even my people are different, but my relationship with the Bible is also tactile. <laughs> um, I, I have two primary Bibles. This is really soft feeling. It's so soft. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so um, yeah. Like... Don't you just yeah? We want to cuddle it. It's my version of a plush toy, and uh, and this one, uh, well, the cover kind of looks like a Necronomicon, but it's um, this, this is my NASB New American Standard Bible. This is an NIV, and I I tend to uh, go back and forth between these two. But but even a tactile relationship, and I would encourage people who maybe are of a generation where their entire relationship with scripture has been through their phone mm. or through a tablet or online on a computer is that our our minds are wired to relate to information in time and space mm. and so psychologists say that um, part of finding anything on a scroll in ancient times or a book is that we remember where it is on the in the book, first yeah. of all, start to finish, and then when we find the page, where it is on the page, yes. upper left corner, and that's part of the fact that we live in a physical world where our minds are designed to help our bodies move through space, and that can <laughs> George move through space. You're amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so uh, when we when we only learn on a tablet or on a phone. And we we are scrolling through things, but the physical space is always the same. It's always this, the screen is just always there. Hi, George. How you doing, my friend? It's good to see you. Is everything all right? I'm glad you're here, too. Thanks for stopping by. That's great. George, how do you read scripture? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as an encouragement to uh, those people who primarily use the um, their Bible on, on some electronic instrument is... Getting a hard copy and marking it up mm. and physically interacting with it will help your mind interact with the learning process the way it was designed. Yeah. Um, Which so, is yeah. wonderful to hear as well because sometimes when it comes to the Peace Church, people are like, oh, they're not very serious about the Bible. doesn't uh, matter what passage they read. They're going to say it means peace. doesn't <laughs> matter uh, where they are in what book. They're going to say yeah. it means simplicity. Yeah. Like it's always going to be minimalism and no militarism. Yeah, That's what yeah. they're going to say every time. But yeah. it's... It's uh, maybe great for people to hear. No, no, like when yeah. you're marking up your Bible and oh, yeah. looking through the pages, and all the more because the Bible has been abused by the Christian Church for so long. We should be a movement that wants to interact with the fullness of Scripture more than ever wow. in the history of the Church. Yeah. Um, that verse we were looking at earlier, John one eighteen, ends with Jesus uh, with the, with John saying that Jesus uh, revealed the Father or fully explained him or fully mm -hmm. made him known. Mm -hmm. The Greek word there is exegeo, from which we get the word exegesis, to exegete scripture, uh -huh. which I'm about to do in John 5. But what it's saying, and that means to reveal or to explain. And so when you exegete scripture, you're revealing a passage. But what John 1.18 says is that Jesus is God's exegetical sermon of himself. Oh, 
Yeah. That'll preach. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That he is incredible. God's exegeto. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yes. Then Jesus is God's exegesis of God's self. Yes. That's, that's yeah. the... And, and so that is... Greg Boyd is right. You do have the fortune cooking blessing. The, the, the ability to <laughs> yeah. like just sum up... I, uh, need I to... don't want to preempt some of your favorite lines that might yeah. show up as you uh, uh, bring this out, but um, uh, I'll, I'll leave you to quote yourself before I quote you, and I'll make sure if I get the uh, better race to... The, if I can think of... <laughs> all right. So where are we? Where are okay, you? so John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Would yes. you read it for us, Bruxy? Well, okay, it is one of the longer chapters in the Bible, so I will not read the whole thing. I could, but I think um, I'm going to draw out highlights. Sure. Because it is a very, very long passage, okay. and almost every verse is worth chewing on for a bit. So um, let me... let Which me... is a particular aspect of John's gospel as yes. well, right? That sometimes I talk about that, uh, yeah. you know, the synoptics are street view. On Google yeah, Maps, yeah, like yeah, yeah. John's yeah. gospel is like a bird's eye yeah, view. Yeah. Um, if you get the socio-political in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the theocosmic. That oh, that's like good. A, a deep meditation, yeah. or, or like it's a it's a director's cut on somebody else's uh, gospels. And so mm. John almost presumes that you know the other gospels mm-hmm. and those other takes. Yeah. And here is like a, a deeper commentary on like towards yeah. the end of his life, yeah, um, meditating good. on it. That's 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 a good way of thinking about it. He he's dealing with the theological level that's just fascinating through narrative. Yeah. He says so many amazing things. Yeah. Um, so John five is a passage about the theme of the passage is authority. It's going to come up later, but mm. if we read the whole chapter, we come back to the beginning and we can see it through the uh, through that lens. Um, and it's who has ultimate authority? What has ultimate authority? How do we know God's will and submit ourselves to it? Authority and our submission to authority is the theme. Mm. And it's interesting, the threat to Jesus' authority in this passage is the Bible. Wow. It is, and it is the authority that the religious leaders want to give to Scripture or to Moses, in that sense, mm. to the Torah, to law. And Jesus is claiming authority over Scripture itself. And where do we hear about this? In Scripture. <laughs> and that's a delicious irony, but it's so true. Yeah, we, and and so Jewish that yes. scripture wrestles with itself. Yes, that yeah. your job is to actually join the wrestle and make sure that you walk away limping. Yeah, right? like yes, that's right. your blessing. Yeah, that right, you walk right. differently afterwards. Yeah. Well, that's very Anabaptist, isn't it? Like that's very good. Of... It's very good. All right, so the healing it starts with a healing that happens um, at a pool in Bethesda, Bethesda or Bethsaida. Um, there's probably an Asclepion, which is a pool dedicated to Asclepius, a healing god, a pagan. It's not it's not a Jewish tradition to um, find a healing pool and be the first one to get into it. This is actually just a poorly designed healing protocol to mm-hmm. say the first person to get in gets healed when the waters are stirred. Well, that means the healthiest person who can move the fastest will get the healing, and the people with the greatest needs will be the last to get in. This is this is a healing construct designed by Darwinism, yeah. right? It's, it's <laughs> a, the survival of the fittest, yeah. basically, the healing of the fittest. And so there's nothing about this that a, seems... A prosperity gospel that works for the prosperous. Yes, right. So if you, I've, I've just got a hangnail, so I can run past everyone and dive into the water. But the person who can't walk, they'll never get healed. So... Jesus finds this guy lying by the pool. By the way, that also may explain why a bit later Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The guy, and I understand how people do this, when they are desperate for something from a touch from God, they will begin to look outside of what they know is God's um, best for their lives. 
they'll look wherever they've heard stories of success, of healing, of miracles, and they'll they'll be drawn to it because they're they're operating out of desperation. Mm. And so this is a Jewish man who is now turning to paganism for healing, and it's not working for him. Yeah. Um, and Jesus later rebukes him for this, and so. And to spell out that paganism means it's it's the spirituality of those yeah. who were oppressing the Jewish people. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, you're actually mm-hmm. taking, hey, th- this is the imagination of that which God has promised to deliver us from. Yeah, and yeah. you're getting in on it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's what's filling your quiet times in the morning. Yes, <laughs> yes, very true. Um, and so Jesus heals him, but the way he heals him is sets up a a challenge to authority in oh. verse. Um, six, it says, now this guy, we know in verse five had not been able to walk for 38 years in verse six, verse six, there's a Freudian, uh, for you. um, and also in verse six, it says that when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you, do you want to get well? Um, it's interesting that Jesus engages him in a conversation first, that he treats him as a person and not just a project. He is, wow. He's relating and he's engaging will, choice-making. You know, what is your wishes in this? Do you want to participate in this? Is this mm. your desire? I love that sense of he's not just there to grandstand his power. He's, he's engaging with people as persons first. Mm. And, um, and then, of course, the sick man says, uh, basically, duh, um, <laughs> yeah, I want to get well. The problem is that I got no one to put me in a pool. And, uh, and so Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his mat, began to walk. And then the last part of verse nine is interesting. John says here, now the day on which Jesus did this was the Sabbath. Um, John mm-hmm. waits until just the right moment for the big reveal. He's a consummate storyteller. And if this was the first century and we were a first century house church and we just received a scroll of the Gospel of John and there was a reader reading it to to the, the house church, the way John has crafted this, Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And then right after that, he says, now, the day this happened was the Sabbath. That would have been a cue for a collective gasp. Yeah, it's like, know? oh, snap. <gasps> what? Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Right. So he, he sets it up this way and says, now, this was the Sabbath. Well, because the Sabbath gave very detailed rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And, and part, part of this was, uh, was sorry, the, the law of Moses gave these detailed rules. One of them was keeping the Sabbath holy, not doing any work on the Sabbath. You say, well, that, uh, that doesn't include carrying around your stuff. Well, Jeremiah, the prophet, rebuked Israel and said, you have lost touch with the law of God. That's why he's not blessing you. And one of the examples Jeremiah uses is that you carry around your own possessions on the Sabbath. Hmm. Uh, as one of the ways that you do unnecessary labor. You should be so mindful of the Sabbath that you don't even carry stuff around with you. Hmm. So Jesus heals this man. And after you've not walked for 38 years and you're able to walk for the first time in your life, who really cares about your mat? Hmm. Right? And, but, it, but Jesus specifically instructs him, you're healed, you're going to start running around, you're going to draw attention to yourself, make sure you carry your mat with you hmm. on this Sabbath day. Jesus knows what he's setting up. He's setting up a, a collision of authority here and whether people are going to obey the law of Moses or they're going to listen to the the new sheriff in town who is Jesus yeah because what Sabbath was meant to be about Mm. was the kind of rest that you don't see in the places that oppress Mm. so Egypt we came out of Egypt bricks all day that was Mm. our reality all we were good for was the productivity of an empire which means that our blood is used um, to like support 
somebody high up. And the Sabbath was this breath of fresh air that actually God is down with rest. Terry, yes. <laughs> Terry Eagleton, uh, who um, uh, was at Oxford University, he had, he had this great line where he talked about um, uh, one of the things that um, uh, Christians, uh, Jews and socialists um, share together is that uh, work isn't the highest good, and in fact, there is a mm. good in being lazy. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but That's that great. was a sense of what the Sabbath was yeah. meant to be about. Yeah. And Jesus is challenging those who have lost all that sense yes. of yes. what. And now here he heals him on the Sabbath, so he's going to have a new kind of rest, a new kind of joy, but he wants to make sure he carries his mat. Now, the mat is not necessary for the miracle. Picking up your mat doesn't change the miracle. It is necessary for the message wow. of the miracle. Wow. So it's, it's like, hey, um, here's the deal for the healing. Mm-hmm. Draw me a little bit of civil disobedience. We're going to cause some trouble. We're uh, going to highlight that this system is actually messed up and missed what yes. it was all about. He knows that the religious leader is going to pick up on this immediately. He's just created an irreligious postcard. He needs mailed it directly to the religious establishment uh, with this guy who is going to attract attention because he's healed and he's carrying his mat around mm. on the Sabbath. He's directly in... Um, in uh, contradiction to the law of Moses as interpreted by the prophet Jeremiah. Which is fascinating because sometimes we think, yes, Jesus teaches peace and we insert into that peace Mm. a kind of um, uh, middle-class desire for harmony and uh, causing no trouble. And yet the kind of peace that Jesus is bringing is is different in nature and the kind of trouble that actually highlights that which which leads to um, ending uh, oppressive situations. Yes, yes including religious oppressive situations and wow. it, and including even the religion of God's people yeah either misapplied misused or just simply its time is over that's really interesting proxy because yeah. there is a danger that instead of going oh this is critique of us on the inside mm. that we go no 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 this is quote unquote the Jews mm. and mm-hmm. we go instead of no this is naming dynamics for all of us in terms yes. of what we do with yeah. spirituality and religion, yeah, um, right. uh, we go, no, no, we can, we can a- a- avoid learning those dynamics and how we get let out of them by just yeah. blaming a different group of people and right. saying, yeah. okay, the problem isn't my religion, yeah. it's their religion. Yes, yes. I-, I often say that Jesus was opposed to the Jewish religion, not because it was Jewish, but because it was religious. <laughs> and now that's a critique I can apply to my own religion. Right? Yeah. Uh, so... Sometimes you, we're, we're, we, uh, the pendulum swings both ways. We'll say, well, it's just a personal inner thing. Or we'll say, no, it's against Judaism. And, but actually, both are true. And, and we, can see, we can admit Jesus was challenging the Jewish religious system. Yeah. But that's an internal critique. The, the Jewish religious system is challenged all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Judaism, in, in by fact, prophets. One of the things that's unique about the, the Bible yeah. is that um, it is Jewish to yes. critique Judaism, Judaism, yes. And Jesus is a Jew yes. with Jewish followers yes. that then, like in the book of Acts, gets opened up for outsiders. Yes, yes. But this is an, an internal conversation inter- yes. of going, hey, this is what yeah. our God is actually on about, yes. and you've missed it. Yes, and then he sets the example for us as his Christ followers. If we start to pattern ourselves after Old Testament religion instead of New Testament religion, his critique applies to us. And we should be the first to inherit that that tradition of internal critique yeah. and not just say, well, we're here to stand up against Islam or we're here to say the Jews really blew it or we're here to say that Hinduism makes no sense and we're here mm. to say that Buddhists... And, and say, no, actually, we, we start at home with an internal critique of ourselves often missing the mark with yeah. our own religious systems. Totally. Wow. And Jesus has led the way for that. So 
I'm, I'm never afraid. I don't want to be afraid to point out that he is critiquing Jewish religion as long as I back that up by pointing out that he is the Messiah of Judaism. Yeah, yeah. Challenging his own faith from the inside yeah, out. Yeah, he, he is what it's actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, he heals the guy, and then really the story shifts to the real sickness that needs healing, and that's the religious legalism of his day. Mm. This... I mean, John knew what he was doing, so he was telling his story. So the guy's healed, but then the whole thing is really about the need, real need of healing. Mm. And the religious leaders ends up being the ones who really need the healing. As you read forward, it, I, it, remember verse 9 said it was the Sabbath day. We all gasp. And then verse 10 says now the Jews or the Jewish religious leaders is what he's referring to. Yes. were saying to the man who was cured, not... Uh, you know, hokey toot, you've been cured. We know you haven't walked for decades. This is amazing. Like, there's just no, even just normal reaction. This is the weight of religion. It can actually truncate even just normal, emotional human reaction to amazing huh. things. Because wow. you're, you're, you're so boxed into making sure you maintain the image wow. of your religious purity. You can't even be a normal human being. Wow. And, and hokey toot is what normal human, <laughs> yeah, humanity what, sounds like for a Canadian. Uh, that is, it's, uh, I believe it's Hebrew. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hokey toot. Yes. So they, and so what do they say to them? They say, the religious leaders say, it is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your mat. Hmm. That is their only listed initial response to this man who has been healed. Wow. And, but it, but Jesus is accomplishing exactly what he'd set out to do, get the attention of the religious leaders. Now the authority conversation is going to start to um, come to the surface. Which makes it all the more significant when Jesus says, what do you want? And yeah. then tells him what to do. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, this yeah. is healing. If you are healed, yeah. this is actually going to challenge those who yes. are quite happy for you yeah. to never see freedom and oh, healing. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and and you, by carrying your mat, are going to partner with me to help bring healing to the religious system as well. Whoa, and it's wow. going to take some work, but let's go. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And so um, the man answers them and says, well, the guy made me well. Is the guy? He, he said, pick up your mat and walk. That's why I'm carrying my mat. He said, pick up your mat and walk. And... They say to him, well, who is it who said, pick up your mat and walk? And again, no, it's not just who healed you. It's who said, pick up your mat and walk. Mm. They want to investigate the guy who is breaking the law, the religious law. And that becomes the focus. Um, and so the conversation, hmm, for the sake of time, let's just skip to verse 16. Verse 16, it says, for this reason, the Jews, meaning the Jewish religious leaders. Mm. Remember, every character in this story is Jewish. So yeah. here he's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. And that's why N.T. Wright, in his translation, mm -hmm. uh, puts uh, the Judean authorities. Ah, very good. That's to great. To actually name the, yeah, the power good. Good. dynamic. Good. Um, so if for this reason, the, the Jews, the Jewish religious, religious leaders, were persecuting Jesus because he was doing... These things on the Sabbath is plural now. John is saying, I've just told you an example of the kind of stuff Jesus is doing all the time. Mm. And this is the reason. This is the reason, John says, that the religious leaders were persecuting him. He was challenging their authoritative book and their law and their traditions all in one fell swoop. And, and so Jesus responded to their persecution. And it would, in verse 17, it would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, now listen, guys, I won't, don't want you to see this as a challenge to the authority of Moses or to the, to the law itself, to the Torah, to Scripture. No, no, it's not, 
I know it says not to work on the Sabbath, but let's not consider this working. Mm. Healing is not working. Healing is, is loving. And, and so there's no contradiction here. I'm not shouting, no, no, I, I live in full submission to the law of Moses. Please, let's smooth this over. It would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to take that approach. And I feel some, some Christians want to paint Jesus as though that was his approach. Oh, no, mm. I live in submission to the Torah. Mm. No, it, the, the Son of God incarnate does not have to live in submission to anything. And he's actually establishing that fact right here. Mm. So his response is not, oh, please don't consider this work. His response is, well, my father is always working until now. So, yes, I myself am working. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, that's, that's so incredible. Because even um, the authority of Moses and the references to Moses is actually a Jewish way of saying, this is who we're interpreting it through. Huh. So they're saying that the, the Torah itself, hmm. um, we're interpreting it through Moses. And that should be good enough for leading to a liberation uh, kind of reading yeah, yeah. and Jesus is saying no 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 like the source of all of this um, to use uh, Christian language now the, the first person in the Holy Trinity huh. the second person is saying I'm just getting on with what is happening here yeah. so the, the mystery that we haven't seen fully yeah. that's where I'm taking orders from yeah yeah yes and so this is not the son pulling a fast one an end run around what God had established and now the son saying, hey, I'm going to be rebellious and get you. Yeah. He's saying, I'm, I'm showing you now what the Old Testament already told you is not the full revelation of God. Hmm. Uh, and, and so, and, and, it, and if God was, if the Old Testament tells us that kings were God's compromise and the temple was God's compromise, then, then certainly that same, same principle of accommodation can apply to the law of Moses itself, which the prophets later do and say, actually, God wants to write it on your hearts. Wow. So, so now he's saying, yes, this is in tune with what God always wanted in the first place, and this is what I'm bringing you to. Yeah. Um, and, and so he says, I'm working. Work, 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 work. He just throws it right <laughs> in their face. It, this is an authority issue. He's not backing down. He's yeah. not trying to smooth it over. I'm working. You're going to have to deal with my authority here. And, Bruxy, for, for those who say like it gets to my father and they suddenly go, oh, here we go, Christians and their, like, uh, male deity. Mm. Uh, for, for those who are going, we were better when it was, I am that I am, and it was a mystery that mm. can't be known. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't saying that the first person in the Holy Trinity has male genitalia. No. Um, what's going on? Why, why sure. does Jesus use this language of father, which yes. is so difficult for yeah. many today? Yeah. But what would have been liberating and world turning upside down in using it? At, what's Jesus doing with that? Yeah, and what's beautiful is, and we is is that Jesus is using what are what is the um, the orientation of authority, which mm. is maleness and is fatherliness within his society and he is showing that ultimate authority is one who is gracious and loving kind and merciful which we might think are more feminine characteristics mm. and he's saying let me redefine fatherhood for you mm. so even jesus himself comes as a man as god's ultimate revelation are we saying there that god's ultimate revelation of himself is is male we're saying no jesus takes on the gender of authority and then teaches all his followers how to get down on their knees and wash feet mm. If Jesus came as a woman and said, let me show you how to serve and to wash feet, the societal response could have been, yeah, that's what you should do, lady. Mm-hmm. Right? And he says, so it, all of, we, we, we uh, I think, should lean into the authority structure that Jesus is revealing, and then he redefines authority. Yeah. So By it's example. Like the term king. Yeah. You thought king meant yeah. this oppressive power. Yeah. You, you thought, um, like, so it's, again, it's a subversion of the yeah. term 
father, which I, Sarah Coakley talks about how um, the use of God for father relativizes all other fathers, that it's actually mm. the end of patriarchy. Mm. Um, but mm. we use it to prop up patriarchy today. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, and, and certainly then, if we, you know, the whole Bible narrative starts with us being made in the image and likeness of God. If maleness and femaleness find their fullness in who God is, then the best of what it means to be male and female is in the heart of this God that Jesus is referring to as Father. Mm. When we lose sight of that, too, I think one unfortunate thing is that if we only see God as kind of a male deity, that that misunderstanding of God will mean that those of us who have been made in the image of a God who is both the best of male and female, we will hunger for a full connection with the full God, and, and that will include full spiritual revelation of masculinity and femininity. Hmm. But our religion is telling us you can't find the feminine side in God. If we hear that, we will have actually a God-implanted, and that's the irony, the God-implanted desire to connect with him, which will include a feminine encounter with this, with what is spiritual hmm. that is not being met through a religion that says God is male. Hmm. And so we'll this God-inspired desire to connect with him will end up reaching out for some form of feminine spiritual. And feminine spirituality... Uh, whether it's uh, Gaia as Mother Earth, or it is it is some form of feminine goddess worship, or and I think this is also partly why um, uh, Mother Mary plays such an important role mm-hmm. within Catholic spirituality is, is our hunger and desire for the positive feminine. Yes, and Jesus gives us the masculine. God the Father gives us the masculine. Where do I go to connect with the feminine? Well, Mary does fill that psychological role. Mm. And um, and while I, I think Mary is a wonderful person, I want to tell everyone in whatever version of feminine spirituality they're reaching out to is that God embodies the best of both mm. and that he may be the Father God, but he's the Father God with a mother's heart. And that's very clear throughout Scripture. Mm. Yeah, wow. Um, okay, sorry. Back to the text. Um for, so they have, they've, in verse 18, they've accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Or, yes, sorry, just after he says, I'm working, which is an issue of authority, the, the Jewish religious leaders are seeking to kill him because he was also, he was breaking the Sabbath and he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they see an issue here of him asserting himself to the level of authority of, as God. And, and, I, and they're, I think they're right. And, yeah. <laughs> um and so now he explains in the following verses, the son doesn't do anything on his own. He does everything in tandem with the father. What he sees the father doing, he is doing. So Jesus is always looking up and moving in parallel with the father, which I think is a great way uh, to live each day mm. and to wake up in the morning and say, hey, father, what do we want to do today? What are we doing? Mm. Where, where, where are you leading me? How mm. can we? Um, Jesus, I think, becomes an example for our own spirituality here. Mm. But let's wrap it up with a confrontation about authority. Um, Let's see. Verse 27, uh, he gives authority. Um, oh, that the Father gave Jesus authority to execute judgment. Authority is named by name in the center of the, the passage of what's going on. And then, hmm, verse 37. Uh, and verse 37 hmm. is fascinating. He says, The Father who sent me, remember, he's defending himself to the religious leaders now. The Father who sent me, uh, he's testified of me. And now you haven't heard his voice at any time, or you haven't seen his form. Um, what do you mean you haven't heard his voice? I mean, these, he's, he's talking to religious leaders who have memorized scripture, studied scripture. So they have, if, if just scripture, memorizing scripture is the voice of God, these guys have heard his voice. Hmm. And Jesus says, no. doesn't matter how much scripture you have in you, there is a way of reading it that means you haven't heard the voice of God. 
that's significant. Wow. To say the least. And for those who want to get out of that and go, no, 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 that's just the Old Testament. Yeah. No, we, well, if the principles of reading scripture that Jesus teaches us then has to apply to all of scripture. And if now we have a new covenant, we should still learn from Jesus how to read our own scripture. <laughs> so, so here Jesus says, you haven't heard the voice of God. And then look at verse 38. You do not have his word in you or living in you or abiding in you. The word of God, the word of God. So what, what is the word of God? And as preachers, we like to say, we need to get our nation back to the word of God. And we always point to the Bible as the word of God. But they had the Bible as in them as they could. Yeah. As studying it, memorizing it. And Jesus says, no, you do not have the word of God in you. Mm. Um, so. Which, which is verse 39. Yes. And that's all set up for verse 39. And, and I, I used to always kind of parachute into this passage and read verse 39 and 40. But I'm, I'm realizing that verse 37 to 38 have that profound setup yeah. to say, here's the problem. You can study scripture, memorize scripture, and claim to follow scripture, follow the Bible, and you still, still don't know the word of God. Mm. That's one of the dangers even of, of a tradition that always refers to the Bible as the word of God. I love the word of God because the Bible doesn't call itself the word of God. Mm. The, the Bible refers to itself as the scriptures. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, the word of God is the message that God gives to an individual through the scriptures. Uh, the story of, let's say, the word of the Lord came to this prophet. The word of the Lord comes. And the scriptures will tell us about God delivering his word, a very specific word. And then ultimately, the word of God or the message of God uh, is revealed in the person of Jesus himself, who's mm-hmm. called the word. And his gospel message, which is called God's word to people in different passages in the New Testament. But just calling the scriptures in general the word of God lets us off the hook too easily to say, I read the Bible, therefore I know the word of God. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Mm. No, you don't. Wow. So, um, verse 39 and 40 then have been set up. Um, you search the scriptures. There, that's what the Bible's called. You mm. search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these testify about me. Yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you can have life. And now Jesus has just kind of concluded the authority one-two punch and said, I'm the word of God. I'm that which John has said at the beginning of his book. And you have to come to me if you really want to encounter the word of God. If you don't come to me, you can study the Bible and not know the word of God. Mm-hmm. And all of this has happened within the context of authority. Who has the authority to tell us how to live? Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we better read the Bible so we can follow Jesus and his authority. As Matthew's gospel ends, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to he doesn't say the scriptures <laughs> to me. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, one, one of my favorite ways that you play with fundamentalists is you have this cracker line that I'd love to quote. Oh, there we go, yes. Where, where yeah. you talk about, um, we do believe in an inerrant and infallible word of God. An inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God. And his name is? Jesus. <laughs> It's so great. Yeah. And and then, you know, I I know, I love the passion. As I said, we have great lessons to learn from all segments of the body of Christ. And I love the passion of the person who holds up scripture and says, you know, this inerrant and authoritative and fallible word of God is what we need to get back to. And I I, I know what they're saying. And I I can agree with their heart on some things, but I want to caution them. There's almost everything you said in that sentence is unbiblical. Mm. You're talking about scripture the way Jesus talked about himself. Mm. In John's gospel, and in terms of John's yes. uh, setup, and to remember that John's gospel is this, um, uh, like, the, 
the last gospel, which is a meditation on the other gospels, which um, places this more uh, distilled. It's like a fine wine where it's been, mm. it's allowed time to, to brew. And so it starts and it doesn't let you um, start with a genealogy mm. or uh, with John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Even. Right. It yeah. says you have to go all the way back mm. to the Big Bang. Like you have to go back before the Great Expanse. Mm. You have to go back to in the beginning. Yeah. Yes. And right. Right. And that and now you're saying, Oh, oh, this is I'm going to have to take I'm gonna have to watch the movie again from the start. Yeah. Now knowing what I know. And that's gonna change how I read the Bible. Mm. Knowing that Jesus was actually a part of this from the beginning. And it's interesting because God creates through the spoken word, let there be light. Yeah. So the word of God is the creative agent from the start in the Hebrew scriptures, and John is saying, Yes, and now he's walked among us. So there's no wriggle room for us having anything in our understanding of the mystery of God to look anything less like the love revealed in Jesus. Right. There's like, even in the beginning, the word was God. Yeah. He was there in the beginning. So what we get in Jesus is all we get. Yeah. He's holding all things together as Colossians uh, says. He is the creative force that called the world into existence and he is the sustaining force that, that keeps us alive so however we understand the universe to be working mm-hmm. we need to have something that looks like the love scene at jesus at yeah. the center of how we engage yeah. in our world and how yeah. reality is actually yes. animated yes. there's something jesusy and that liberating love right at the center of every yeah. moment yeah and, yes, and yes. every day yes and every interaction that yeah. that reality is is actually you, sustaining and that's it that relational love is the dna of the divine wow yeah wow Bruxy, um, uh, another Bruxy favorite from for me, um, the the, the Bruxy uh, fortune cookie summations of such profound theology is um, Jesus is perfect theology. Mm. Uh, that's mm. that's a nice one, bro. That's that's good. Did I say that? I don't. That's I'll take credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I it, there, he is. He's the first and last. The Alpha and Omega. What God has to say. I mean, mm-hmm. the Alpha and Omega is the whole alphabet. He's the A to the Z. He is every everything that God has to say about everything is summed up in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't just mean we only read the four Gospels or the red letters. It means that what we know of the historical Jesus uh, informs how we read everything else Mm. knowing that then we will see clues of him throughout all of scripture and that lesson for me has changed it's changed everything i will say a a conversation like this for many people will leave a whole bunch of questions we do have to remember that there will be questions no matter what we think about scripture Mm. and to some extent what we believe whether it's what we believe about the bible believe about jesus believe about christianity or believe about religion or theism versus atheism no matter what worldview you choose it will have a whole bunch of questions you probably won't be able to answer this side of heaven to some extent figuring out what you believe is playing the game of pick your questions (laughs) and what questions are you willing to live with Mm. for the rest of your life and live out yes and and to me, the, the most the, the the most compelling answers are found in Jesus, and the best questions are yeah, found in Jesus. Right. And so, yeah. I want to spend the rest of my life asking and wrestling through those questions. That's a wonderful way to turn the world upside down, Bruxy. Mm. Um, I love you. I'm so thankful for your friendship and being able to share you with others is a real gift. So, thanks for doing what you do. If if people want to. Um, find out more you've got a new book which um hmm. i was honored to 
endorse. Thank um, you. Uh, so Reunion is, is out mm-hmm. there. And yep. of course, there's your book, The End of Religion. Mm-hmm. And if people want to listen to uh, your podcast, The mm-hmm. Meeting House. TheMeetingHouse.com. All, the, all our sermons are there. Or you can go, if you know my name, Bruxy, you can go to Bruxy.com. There you go. Information blog about the books and study guides and other resources are at Bruxy.com. And I'll mention for those who um, are seeking to uh, give the Bible to little people to turn the world upside down, The Meeting House has mm-hmm. a phenomenal curriculum where peace is built into how you do discipleship with little mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. Um, teaching them to read the Bible in ways that points them to Jesus, not just to the Bible in itself. Yeah. And you've your church has made that available for free, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wonderful way of um, uh, washing feet and serving others. And so if people are looking for um, Jesus-y, peace-filled children's Sunday school curriculum, yeah. they can find that at the Meeting House for free for yes. your churches as well. Yeah, that's true. I I'm, I'm so appreciate the work our curriculum team is doing. Um, you know, We used to do what many churches are doing. We used to buy curriculum. But then we would find we had to change it or edit it <laughs> often as Anabaptists. It yeah. was just marketed to the major you know, evangelical yeah. market. I understand that. And so we were putting so much effort into editing the curriculum that we had paid for, and then we had to pay someone to edit it. We finally said, could we just invest a little bit more and start to create our own and then share with others? And we didn't realize there were so many who were in the same uh, situation of looking for really Jesus-y kids and youth curriculum. And there are now hundreds of churches that are, are using it. And yeah. um we see that growing so we want to be a blessing to to those who want to approach scripture in a jesusy way well braxy i'm thankful for the way that you've taken uh, what was given to you as a kid as a sword mm-hmm. and have um, mm-hmm. let jesus teach you how to beat it into a plowshare that's great and the way that uh, you're you're serving and encouraging mm-hmm. others to to beat their bibles into plowshares to to feed those that um it might right. have used to stab yeah, so, yeah thank you thank you jared it's really been a privilege i love your friendship thanks no worries we might also add that one of the brave ways that the Meeting House has done that um, recently is uh, having a conversation about white supremacy. Mm. So if that's of interest to people, um, you can also find that on the Meeting House podcast of um, yeah. trying to... If they look for our Peacemaker series of 2018, Peacemaker series of 2018, you, you preached for us and kicked it off. And they also did a roundtable podcast follow-up discussion, which is a supplemental dietary supplement kind of podcast mm. we do, Meeting House Roundtable. And um, and then we've got other voices contributing. And I, I really appreciate how you have uh, you've served us well in raising the issue of, uh, of race reconciliation and and white power mm. and what what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Mm. Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Thanks, man.